Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Apartment Investing for Early Retirement. Today's guest is Kyle Marcotte. Kyle is a 21-year-old multifamily syndicator based out of Austin, Texas. While still a student athlete at UC Davis, he was able to syndicate two multifamily apartment buildings that totaled 119 units and are valued at over $5.5 million. He has been able to build off of that early success and is having a fantastic career in real estate investing. Kyle, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, crazy times that we're in right now, but a uh, good time to sit down and discuss how to kind of get started at, especially at a younger age and, and making the tough decisions and to get on that path towards uh, financial freedom through, through real estate. So thank you again for coming on the show and uh, excited to dig into it. Why don't you just give us a little bit of your, your background as to how you got to where you're at today, uh, a little bit of your story. Yeah, of course, man. So I was a student athlete at UC Davis in Sacramento area. Uh, I was playing Division One soccer and studying pre-med, and I just started to realize that I was trading a lot of my time and not very, not really feeling happy about it, not really enjoying what I was doing, and I was really looking for a change, and I didn't really know where that was going to come from, um, but I just kept looking for that change. It was in the back of my mind all the time, um, and then I read a book called Rich Dad Poor Dad at like the absolute perfect time, kind of at the peak of this dissatisfaction with my current situation, and it just put to words all the things that I was looking for and all the things I was thinking about, which was, you know, I'm working like... 8 a.m. to, you know, however late at night being a college student studying pre-med and trying to play soccer as well. And I was not really feeling uh, like I was getting a reward. And I realized there has to be a better way to do this because I watched my parents, you know, work manual labor jobs, uh, you know, several, you know, hours a day and working hard. It's not about hard work. It's about, you know, being smart about it as well. And I understood that on some level, I understood that there had to be a better way to do it. And that book kind of talks all about how you can stop trading your time for money and start making money independent of your time and real estate's a great vehicle for that. So I started in single family and then realized that even single family slightly still trading your time for money and giving yourself another job. Um, so then I was like, wow, I got to get bigger. I found Jake and Gino. I joined the education group um, and they're great guys. They taught me a bunch of stuff and I know you're a part of that group too. And that's how we met as well. And it's just, it's just a great group to get around like-minded people. And uh, I actually ended up doing two deals at 20 with people in the group. I did 107 unit in Louisville and a 12 unit in Atlanta. And being able to get going while you're in college, you know, with getting started into real estate, you know, you started with single families and, you know, kind of went from there. What was the big driver that led you to multifamily? Yeah. So it was really just the scalability. And I started to realize that as I read more about real estate and listened to more podcasts, which was, you know, once you get over a certain unit count, usually the magic number is somewhere around 75 uh, units in a building, then you can actually afford based on your, uh, your income there's actually enough left over to afford a full-time property manager. So then you're actually able to run the building independent of your time, which was my whole big thesis, right? It was like, how can I get my time back so I can enjoy my life again? Because I was trading so much of my time to other people, my teachers, my class, my, my coach. So I found that, you know, hey, if I buy a big enough deal, I know it's going to be scary on the front end, but on the back end, it's actually going to be a lot smoother. Um, and so I started to realize the bigger I go, the easier that this gets, which is the most counterintuitive thing that I've ever had to learn. Uh, but it's super true. If you eat the, you know, if you, if you bite the bullet up front and you get a big deal and you, you know, the acquisition of that is going to be difficult. But once you actually have that acquisition, it's such a smooth process. It's much easier than getting a single family home, um, which is super counterintuitive. But I promise you if, you, if you actually live it out, you'll realize that single families might be easy to get up front on the negotiation and contract and acquisition. But then once you're running them, it's actually way more of a headache than a huge apartment complex, which is so weird, but super true. But yeah, just with going from from single family, you know, I was in the same boat with duplexes, 
single families. It's you're running to check stuff out. You're running to deal with tenants. You can't, I mean, you realistically, unless you got an absolute home run of a deal, you can't afford to pay the management because the costs are higher. So, so yeah, it's definitely, definitely more advantageous once you can, can get that full-time management because like you said, you get your time back. You're still running a business. There's, it's not like there's no work involved, but it's not the day-to-day operations, you know, dealing, uh, interacting with the, with the residents of the property. But when you, when you started getting into multifamily, were you still in college yet or had you left to go full-time into real estate? So I was in college during the learning process, but actually about six months before I got my first deal, I dropped out or I stopped going to classes and I unenrolled and everything. Um, And that was a really, really difficult six months, as you can imagine, right? You have no potential prospects and everyone telling you that you just made a huge mistake and having to tell your, your soccer coach that you're not coming back anymore when he recruited you from Texas to California, which is, you know, a hard thing to do. Um, and then telling him no longer going to finish the year or the, or the career. Um, and then, you know, dropping out your parents obviously are invested in your future and want you to be successful and, and successful in a certain way, because society says that, you know, you got to go to school, you got to get this degree and then, you know, then you're safe. Right. And that's the, the story that a lot of people are, are familiar with, but it's not actually fully true or, you know, there's exceptions to the rule and there's different ways to go about it and really doubling down and learning about, you know, my own self-resilience was a huge uh, thing in that six month period where, you know, even my roommates thought that, you know, they kind of took it personally on the level of like, Oh, you, you don't really need school. Uh, you think you're smarter than us kind of thing. And, and it wasn't like that. I, I didn't think I was smarter than them. I just, it did, I was a bad student. Like I, I'm not a good, like, I guess entrepreneurs are bad employees is what people say. Right. So I wasn't a bad student grade wise, but I was a bad student, like behavior wise. Like I just didn't want to sit and listen to directions. And it's been that way since I was a kid. Uh, and the same thing would be if I was an employee, right. I just would not do well taking uh, instruction and, and doing details and yada, yada, yada. I'm just, you know, honestly, it's, it's, it was a necessity for me to leave school. I just, it wasn't my uh, personality type and I ended up finding this and really liking it and, and excelling in it. So, uh, you know, but that six months was brutal, man. <laughs> it really was brutal. Yeah. So in those, in that six month stretch before you got that deal, you know, once you decided to leave, you, you know, you were going to withdraw from college and, and kind of pursue this, what was your action plan? How did you go about, you know, Yes, this is how I'm going to going to make it happen. This is how I'm going to be successful. So it's not just, you know, going out blind. What what did you kind of plan for, and how did you go about that? So the two biggest things that I found in the business were deals and tall and deals and dollars, which I think a lot of people break it down into that as well. But the dollars aspect, I figured, okay, I have to become a staple in the industry. I have to become a some sort of an expert. So the way that I saw being able to do that the quickest was local meetups. Um, and I've laid this out in a couple other podcasts, but I'll do it again. And it's the fact that when you go to a meetup for the first time, you got to introduce yourself to the host. You got to tell them how you found this meetup. Um, that gives them valuable marketing feedback. And then the second time you come, you bring a friend or a business partner and you say, Hey, I brought a guy to your business. I brought a guy to your meetup. I found a lot of value in it. So I'm telling other people about it. That's another value. You're bringing people to the meetup. You're talking about it positively in public. And then the third time you go, you want to ask if you can, uh, you, you can ask, you want to ask if you can do some tasks around, you know, help clean up, write name tags, help check people in. Uh, things like that and just start to build this relationship and start adding value to this guy on a weekly basis. And then once you've gone to like five, six, seven meetups, you can start to ask, you know, maybe the question of, Hey, can I get on stage and speak about multifamily for 10 to 15 minutes? Um, and once you get on stage and hold that microphone, people will start to look at you a lot differently. And that was huge for me as a 20 year old, because when I walk in, I stick out like sore thumb, you know, there's a bunch of 40, 50 year old guys. Um, and then you see this kid walk in and I used to have to wear a suit 
try to, you know, make, compensate for that a little bit, but you know, it doesn't really work. You know, people don't see you in a, in a positive light until you have that microphone. So that's when everything changed and I started to become an expert. Um, and I actually raised over $600,000 from that meetup for the first deal that I did. So that was the big deals aspect. And then, I mean, the dollars aspect and then the deals aspect is, uh, I was, I had a little system where I would email brokers on a bi-weekly basis. So I got a Chrome extension for my Gmail and I would go to the LoopNet directory for brokers and I would find, I would filter for my area and my, in my, uh, you know, multifamily, the specific type of real estate. And I would go through that list and I would put all of those brokers on a rolling two week email follow-up system. And then I would just, you know, if they would respond to that email, then I would go in personally and have a conversation with them. Um, and I kept good records on an Excel, on an Excel sheet. I couldn't afford a CRM yet. So I had just an Excel sheet of, uh, you know, some of their personal information, like, where their kids went to school or if their daughter played soccer and, you know, could ask about how the game went on Saturday and, and just building this relationship. And over time that started to lend some dividends as well. And, and uh, yeah, so that was really just trying to nail those two aspects of the business down. And it took about, you know, six months, but it, if you work at it every day and you just take these little tiny chunks, uh, it does start to compound. Yeah. And you know, a lot of times, and again, with being, uh, being mentored by Jake and Gino, you know, they always say that, a lot of times it's going to take a year, a year and a half before you get your first deal. It's that consistency. So to be able to expedite that to a six month time frame, you know, it's, it's the diligence each and every day being prudent about that, that consistent action. It's not necessarily the quantity, but the consistency. Um, you know, I, I mean, it's a mix of both, but yeah, it's just, mm-hmm. just to yeah. take that action. So what were some, some hurdles that you had to overcome in that process to get your first deal? Yeah. Number one was the massive age barrier. Um, well, not, it's not necessarily, I wouldn't say that it's a huge hindrance because once you do actually break the initial threshold of resistance for your age, it becomes your biggest strength immediately because, you know, I stick out like a sore thumb. Yes. But I also stick out like a sore thumb. You know what I mean? So it's, 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 it's at first it's who is this kid, get him out of here. He doesn't know anything. But then as soon as you prove that you do know something and that you maybe should be there, uh, you immediately become the most interesting person in the room because you're different than everybody else uh, just by the nature of, of the rarity of your situation. So that became, you know, it was at first, uh, I think that's actually how a lot of your weaknesses are. You perceive them to be your biggest weakness, but they can actually be uh, your biggest strength if you, if you really think about it and you dig into it a little bit. Um, but another obstacle was just the, the KP or the key principle. Um, so having a net worth that equals the loan size that you're going to go out and get for a, for a deal. Um, and that can be really difficult, especially convincing someone to sign on a, on a, on a, a loan document. And even though it is non-recourse, um, there's a lot of clauses that actually void that non-recourse uh, situation. And if you read the, the bad actor clause, um, it's actually kind of finicky. So it's not as non-recourse as it seems. It is non-recourse to an extent, um, but you can easily mess that up for someone if you aren't a good operator. So you're still, I mean, they're taking up a lot of uh, risk and faith in you, regardless of the fact that it's a non-recourse loan. So that's definitely a difficult negotiation and convincing process. And usually you got to find someone who's going to be a partner and be on the GP as well to be able to do that because there's just a lot of risk for them. Yeah. So why don't we, we dig into what that first deal looked like kind of from the start, from, you know, how you got that, how you found the deal, what it looked like going through and the structure for purchasing it and just kind of how that from start to, I mean, not necessarily finished, but the, where we're at, mm-hmm. how that looked. Yeah. So it was a 107 unit deal in Louisville. Uh, I did it with a Jake and Gino partner named Eli. He's a really smart guy. He was an actuary at Allianz for a while. Um, so, you know, predicting when people are going to die mathematically, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy, Matt. He was a really analytical guy. He taught me quite a bit about the, the returns and some of the more underwriting aspects of real estate, which I wasn't super privy to at the time. So it was a great lesson there, but we bought it in a syndication structure. So it was a 70, 30 split. 
um, 30% going to the GP and 70% going to the LP. Uh, we had an 8% preferred rate of return. Uh, and then we had, we were projecting somewhere around a 14% IRR for the deal. I ended up raising a decent amount of the capital from that meetup in Sacramento. He brought a little bit of the capital as well from some people he knew in the Jake and Gino group. Um, and then we actually did a cumulative uh, KP. So as long as the GPs, I believe cumulative net worth adds up to the loan amount and we were able to get it between two, two different partners. Um, we're able to get in there and, and, and equal that. So we gave them, you know, a piece of the GP, I believe it was somewhere between five and 10% of the GP. So that's five to 10% of that 30%. Uh, if you start to break it down a little bit there. Um, and then the main prospects of the deal were the fact that we saw it as a 106 unit deal, actually, that's what we bought it at. And we found a downed unit that was fully plumbed and just stocked full of storage. So day one, it was 107, not 106, which is a huge, huge NOI booster. You know, the whole, you know, if it's renting for a thousand dollars a month, that's $12,000 a year on your NOI, which is on a seven or a six cap. It's quite a bit of value on the back end. Um, and then also the payroll expense. So they had a, a relative as the onsite manager and he was being paid like almost double the uh, market rent, uh, the market rate for the, for a property manager on site. So that was just a huge cut day one as well, you know, dropping almost $30,000 off the NOI, uh, you know, off the expense side. So raising the NOI 30,000. So just a huge, huge two like wins up front and just kind of allowed it to be a, a more smooth deal. And was that, was it more of a, a value add play or how, how did that look, you know, for, for that underwriting when you were, what's that, what would that business plan look like? Yeah. So it was definitely a value add play. We knew we could get some uh, premium from the rents for sure, just from exterior renovations and some basic aesthetic interior renovations, you know, take carpet out and put, uh, you know, some slats on the ground and things like that, like the vinyl hardwood, fake hardwood or whatever, and uh, changing some of the countertop uh, fixtures and, and appliances and things like that, just basic cosmetic improvements. And uh, we really were just coming into it with, you know, predicting some rent bumps, some management efficiencies, nothing too crazy home run. And then, you know, we were able to find the, the down unit and the management play um, midway through. And that kind of made the deal a lot sweeter and made us more confident to go in it and get it. So kind of looking back at that process, uh, you know, for acquisition, what would be something that you, you would maybe do different in that lead up to get that first deal? Yeah. So one of the biggest things that came up in the deal was last minute, um, pretty much last minute, about a couple of weeks out, we had a guy who actually was going to 1031 into the deal, but we didn't know that he was going to 1031 in the deal until later. Um, and you can 1031 into a syndication, but it, it actually requires some extra paperwork. It's called a tenant in common agreement. Uh, and you have to know that moving forward because you have to let everyone in the deal know that you're going to be doing that because it adds a lot of extra risk for everybody because that person is now a tenant in common on the deed. And that can be an issue um, depending upon what that person's background looks like. You know, if you don't know what their background is, it could potentially be dangerous for everyone involved. So you have to let everybody know legally, and then you have to set that actual agreement up. Um, so what I would do differently is ask the passive investors in the soft commitment form, like week one of raising capital, how are you putting your money in it? Is it as an IRA or is it a 1031? Because if you're investing with a retirement account, we need a custodian lined up. We need to get your funds you know, self-directed and then able to be put into the deal. Um, and then if it's a 1031, you know, we need to number one, vet you and make sure that your background's okay and that we can have you as a tenant in common. And then also let everyone else know and let our lawyers know so that we draft the PPM, you know, with that in there. So I would say just making sure you know where everyone's money's coming in, put that question on your form and, uh, and make sure to follow up with people. You know, kind of to build on that, looking back in the whole process, how would you recommend for people uh, to get started, you know, say at a younger age where, you know, with the hurdles that you've had to overcome, what, what would be the biggest few points that you would recommend for them to do for taking action? 
Yeah. Number one, I would say get educated, man. I mean, that's huge. And I think joining some sort of an education program is, is definitely huge. It's not necessary per se, if you don't have the capital at the moment. Uh, but it's super, super huge. And getting in a group where people are like-minded, and that could just be joining your local meetup and doing the process I laid out earlier, uh, becoming an expert in that meetup and networking there and starting just there. Um, but you got to start educating yourself and surrounding yourself with people in the business so you can learn the lingo, practice the lingo, uh, and also learn some really big concepts and tips from people's mistakes and things like that. I feel like, you know, reading, listening to podcasts is great as well, but you got to go and put yourself out there in the jungle and then start to learn and grow in that way. And that's just step one, honestly. And then step two would be really lay out what it is that you want and why you want to go into real estate. Cause don't go into real estate or go into anything, honestly, and just say, Oh, I want to be uh, just super wealthy. So I'm going to do this or, Oh, I want to just drive a Lamborghini. So I'm going to do this. Like, no, let's, let's connect that to a bigger purpose and vision for your life. And let's make sure that you're doing this because it aligns with who you see yourself as, as a person and what you want your life to look like in the future. And so for me, it was always, I wanted to have free time. I wanted to be able to spend time with my family and do the things that I was really passionate about. So real estate was a vehicle for me to free my life. up. So that's way more motivation than I could have ever gotten from saying, Oh, I want to be in real estate so that I can drive a Ferrari because honestly, real estate is a slow play, right? Is you get the, you know, the free time pretty quickly. You can, I could say you do it probably like two to one years if you really hustle, but getting to the Ferrari level of, of wealth, you know, you're gonna have to exit some deals. You're gonna have to, you know, maybe refi a deal and, and, and things like that. And that takes a little bit of time and progression and, 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 you know, it's going to be a couple of years. So if you, that's your only motivation, it's going to burn out rather quickly. You got to have a very deep um, core motivation to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. It, you can't just go in blind. You have to have a little bit more of a passion mm-hmm. based off of it rather than I just want money. You know, exactly. like for you, you don't want to trade time for money. Yes. Mm-hmm. Money is, we all need to make money to survive. We all need, you know, for that lifestyle, mm-hmm. but having something more, why this to make money instead of gain a job, you know, for you, mm-hmm. freedom of the lifestyle, you learned about it, you took action and you're just crushing it right now. Like, and there's no reason that that, that shouldn't continue, but you know, it's just having a little bit more drive behind it. But mm-hmm. You know, again, looking at the future now, I mean, we're, well, we're recording this and when this will come out, I imagine we'll still be in the midst of the, uh, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic here. Uh, what are your next steps? What are you doing now to kind of set yourself up for the future for after, the, after we go back to some resemblance of normalcy? Yeah, so that's a great question. And for COVID right now, it's, it, it's really, it's so hard to see where the real estate market's going to be, especially since it lagged behind the stock market several months. Um, I, I presume that it's not going to be looking necessarily great for the sellers um, in real estate, but it is going to, I think, you know, open up the cap rates back to a, a normal amount to where you're not having to buy C-class assets at a four cap, um, at least in my market, which is a little bit insane, right? Uh, you, if you told someone in 2000 that in 2015, 16, 17, that you'd be buying in Austin at a four and five cap, that they would call you crazy, but that's the reality. <laughs> So I think that that's going to get back to normal uh, and extend out towards maybe the sevens again, hopefully. I mean, fingers crossed, which is great for the buyer. And and what I say there is how to prepare for that would be start building your, your network of, of a passive investors. Try to get people excited about the prospect of, of buying discounted deals and having a hard asset, especially with, um, you know, I'm not an economist and I'm not trying to be, but with the amount of money that we're printing out and and just liquidating into the markets and with QE being going on for so long the, and with all of our debt out to other countries, you could, you could argue or wager or predict that the U S dollar is going to lose some value um, due to inflation and, and pumping extra money into the market. And, you know, 
hard assets are great hedges against inflation. You know, if you owe a million dollars on your, on your debt and a million dollars is no longer that valuable because of massive amounts of inflation, you're actually now, you know, you have a property that you can pay off quicker. You know, rents are going to climb with inflation, but the mortgage is going to stay fixed. So it's a great hedge as well. So just getting people interested in, in real estate right now, especially people who are maybe having a really horrible time in the stock market and not taking advantage of those people, but just letting them know, Hey man, uh, if you want to diversify so that maybe next time you don't take such a big hit, uh, real estate might be a great option for you and, and just motivating people and, and pushing them into real estate so that when the prices do drop, you can actually uh, take action. And, you know, with that, again, mentioning with, with the sellers are probably the ones that are going to take that, take a little bit of a hit, you know, looking at underwriting, you know, too, with when you're buying an asset is especially in the market that, that we were in, we know, don't know what it's going to be like moving forward necessarily with how it was the importance of that conservative underwriting kind of planning for these contingent, you know, have, having stuff in place so that you can stress test deals beforehand. So you're not going to be underwater or it change, you know, it changes how, how soon you can exit a deal, you know? So it, it's, yeah, there's a lot to, a lot to learn. And fortunately, I mean, both fortunate and unfortunate, we're all stuck in our homes right now, or, you know, some yeah. obviously with the essential, you're, you're still able to go out and go to your, your jobs for whatever um, aspect that is. But a lot of time you're spent at home, you're not going out to dinner, you're not doing, it's a great time to get that foundation, get educated reach out to those brokers, you know, like you mentioned, just set the groundwork so that once we're going back to relative normal, <laughs> that mm -hmm. you're going to be able to take advantage of, of opportunities that come up. You're not taking advantage of someone else's despair, take advantage of the opportunities. Mm -hmm. But totally agree. yeah, so just a few, a few quick questions uh, before we wrap up here. Um, what does the word retirement mean to you? Retirement to me doesn't necessarily mean like, you know, not doing anything. To me, it means the option, the option to not do anything. Right. So I want to be able to, I want to want, like, I want to work. So I I'm going to, right. I don't need to work. I actually have passive income. That's going to pay me uh, for my lifestyle, regardless of if I show up or not. And so now every time I show up, I understand that on, you know, on a level, my mindset is that I'm there. I'm choosing to be here. I don't need to be here. I enjoy this. This is what I like to do. And, and just having that freedom. Cause that, that's something that I really, really, really value. I'm extremely an independent person and self-motivated and I like to be, um, you know, the one who's somewhat in charge of my life, right? I want to be the one who's setting the shots for myself. And if I know that I have the financial freedom to be able to, you know, pick and choose what I'm doing and when, I think that that's, you know, retirement to me. So you mentioned Rich Dad, Poor Dad earlier, um, you know, as a book that really changed your mindset. What was, say, an event that made you take action to get into multifamily specifically? Big event. Hmm. Honestly, it's probably wholesaling and setting up that, that whole situation, realizing that, uh, you know, I was spending almost 20 hours a day trying to pump this business full of marketing and getting people to go and find off market properties. And then, you know, having these scripts for sellers and, and trying to, you know, convince people that, you know, wholesaling me their property was going to make sense. And, and that actually was taking such a huge chunk of time. So I think that was a huge learning process and a real life event that kind of made me realize, okay, Scale is super important. I don't know anything about business. That was another huge wake up call was, okay, maybe I'm a great hustler, but I don't have a understanding of how to scale a business and what, you know, being a real entrepreneur is. And, you know, I was still in the I'm a mentality as Jake and Gino call it, where you're trying to do every single task in your company and you don't understand that there needs to be a division of labor and that you need to, you know, tell people, other people to do things and leverage other people and, and, and kind of scale out. And I didn't realize that yet. So that was a huge learning experience. 
Awesome. So what are you doing to, uh, you know, kind of give back to other, other members that are other people that are looking to get into real estate or are currently in real estate? What are you doing to, to help others out? Yeah. So I have a bunch of free resources on my website uh, for like the newbie investor guide. It's basically all the books and podcasts that I ever um, looked at. And it's also has a way it actually lines up the, the broker reach out method that I talked about on this tells you it even has the URL for the, for the broker directory on LoopNet and, and, and the steps in which to email these people at and what content to put in those emails. Um, and then I have the uh, how to raise capital guide, which talks all about, you know, again, the meetup strategy and a bunch of other things about how I raise capital at 20 years old. And, you know, if, if I could do it at 20, I'm, I'm positive that you can do it at your age or, or whatever your situation is most likely. And, uh, and then also I like to, you know, I get reached out to on social media quite a bit since I'm active there and a lot of young guys reach out to me, which is awesome. Um, I'd like to talk to people my age who are, who are thinking this. I get a lot of college students saying, you know, I'm in college right now too, man. I wish I could drop out and, and start real estate. How do I do this? How do I get out of here and, and, and do real estate? And then I love to, to have like, you know, I always have a 30 to an hour minute, an hour call with people like that and try to see where they're at and see how we can get them out of school, man. Because if you really don't, aren't happy there and you don't feel like it's for you, man, then it's not, it doesn't have to be right. And I love to talk to people. Uh, I'll talk to anyone, any age, but I really, uh, it really like gets close to my heart when I'm talking to younger guys who are in college and are just looking for a way out. How, how can listeners find out more about you or reach out to you? I think KyleMarcott.com is probably the best place to, to find me. And then I'm also active on social media, uh, just Kyle Marcott for almost everything. And then Instagram, I think is Kyle Marcott nine, but everything else is Kyle Marcott and I post pretty much every day. So I know I see a lot of your stuff on, you know, very <laughs> consistent on, on LinkedIn. That's key is just pointing out, giving that value, these little bits of information consistently every day, the same way you have the consistency with brokers, have consistency in, in, in your marketing, your social media content. And it's a lot of great stuff. And I know uh, just started your podcast that is, mm-hmm. is another great, great source of, of insight. So, and that is, uh, want to tell listeners where they can find that as well. Oh yeah. The own your time podcast. It's on everywhere you listen to podcasts, you know, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever. Um, and yours truly over here, uh, Derek Loda will be on the podcast very soon too. So it's going to be a, uh, it's a great listen for sure. I, I just try to line up how to become financially free and, and talk to people who are interesting in the industry as well. So. Awesome. Well, thank you for, for taking the time and, you know, looking forward to seeing your continued success and again, encourage uh, listeners to, to reach out to Kyle and he's great resource, great knowledge. And, and he's had, had a heck of a story thus far and no reason to see that not continuing exponentially. So thank you very much. Look forward to, to talking to you again in the future. Awesome. And yeah, thanks for having me on. Thank you everyone for tuning into this week's episode of Apartment Investing for Early Retirement. Please be sure to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts and check us out on Facebook and Instagram. The links will be in the show notes. And if you enjoy the show, please be sure to share it out on social media so that we can reach more and more people to help educate them about the opportunity that multifamily investing provides to help reach their version of retirement sooner than later. Take care, everyone. (music) 